0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Isn't Doug looking great? So we're going to finish the book of Exodus this morning. Maybe. So... Um, We've been talking a lot about uh, um, what God is doing, and one of the things I want to do this morning is I, I want to look at um, these last several chapters, but I want to look at it in the context of what is it that was driving the Israelites, and, and what was it that was happening in their lives, and I think that a large part of what went on in the lives of the Israelites was, was determined by habits that they developed, and so I'm, we're going to spend some time going through like 27 chapters, okay? Did you bring lunch? will order pizza. 27 chapters. So we're going to go from 13 to 40, chapter 40. But the reason I want to do that is I want to give us a context of habits that the Israelites develop. Now here's a definition of habits, a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up. And so habits are, are important because really the reality is, is where we end up in life to a large degree is a result of our habits, Right? And I mean, if you think about it, are there any of you here that you're, you're kind of thinking, you know, I've had this habit for a while and I would really love to break it? Maybe attitudes, maybe actions, maybe thought processes, but you're saying, man, there is at least one habit that I would like to break. If, if you have a habit you would like to break, raise your hand. All right. So, so how, how, how many of you are saying, well, you know what, I'm okay, but the person next to me needs to, no, 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 never mind, never mind, never mind. How about this? Um, what if you had a, a habit that you said, you know, I would really like to to start? Maybe it's 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 you know something that would that would help me be more healthy. Maybe more healthy physically, or maybe financially, or maybe spiritually, or emotionally, or maybe it's a habit around my family or relationships or getting in shape. I mean, if you have something where you go, man, I would really like to start this habit because it would really help me. Raise your hand. Yeah, I mean, I, I think God is. Is pro-habits. I think God wants us to to develop habits that are good habits. And and I think there's a power that happens when we have good habits. And so I want to talk this morning about the power of habits. And I think it's it's important for us to realize that habits shape our lives. Amen? And so what I want to do is I want to do a little bit of exercise because there was a book written called The First Really Important Survey of American Habits. Um, And and this was like a a book that was written on pointless things to find out what the national average on some of these habits people have that really don't matter. But I think it'll be fun to see how Grace Fellowship fits in with a national average, okay? So the first one is um, when you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, how many of you put the peanut butter on top? How many of you put the jelly on top? Yeah, and we, we conform because um, 4% put the peanut butter on top, and, and 96% of, of, of the people do it wrong. <laughs> they put the jelly on top. How many of you, when the, when, the, when the sandwich isn't put together and it falls on the floor, it lands jelly and peanut butter down? <laughs> okay, second one. So when you put your socks away, how many of you roll up your socks before you put it away? How many of you fold your socks before you put it away? Okay, 51% roll them up, 41% fold them. How many of you just throw them in the drawer? (laughs) How many of them are just sitting in the corner because they'll get put away someday? How about this? Raise your hand if you've ever bitten your fingernails. Wow, see, this is interesting. Either you guys are lying or you're not not the national average. 96% of Americans bite their fingernails or say they've bit their fingernails. And we only had like 30%. So, so how about this? Raise your hand if you've ever bitten your toenails. <laughs> Nobody? At least 25%. Come on. How, how, many of you, how many of you would like to have the flexibility to bite your toenails? <laughs> how about this? Automobiles. So how many of you fill up your gas tank when it's still three quarters full? All right, that's impressive. How many when it's half full? How many of you wait till it's like below empty before you decide to do (laughs) it? That's right. How many of you say, actually, I fill it up when it stops moving? (laughs) I call it AAA. How many of you are married to somebody who always leaves it empty? (laughs) You won't even raise your hand, that's okay. (laughs) So, so you, won't, you won't raise your hand on the gas tank. You won't raise your hand on this either. So, so usually when you talk about being late in the household, how many of you would say he's usually late? How many of you would say she's usually late? How many of you would say we're both late? How many of you say we're always on time? There you go. Last one. Um, space in the closet, how many of you would say he, ha- he takes up the most space in the closet? Vanessa's not here, but I know. <laughs> how many of you would say she takes up the most space in the closet? <laughs> how many of you guys would say, what closet? I haven't been able to get in that thing for years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, um, it's fun to talk about habits, but really there's a lot of things that we do that become habitual, isn't there? That it just becomes habit. We just are so used to doing it that way that we just do it over and over and over again. And habits really do shape our lives. And they shape our lives in powerful ways because when you think about it, just ask yourself this I mean, why is it that some people just seem to have better lives than other people? Why is it that some people soar and other people just never seem to get off the ground? Why is it that some people have better relationships? Why is it that some people have more relationships? Why is it that some people's relationship with their kids just seem to be better? They're, they're not perfect kids, but they seem to be closer. Why is it that, that some marriages seem to be closer while other marriages seem to be in conflict and there's bickering and there's fighting and stuff like that? Why is it that some Christians seem to have a more effective relationship with the Lord? Um, you know, why is it that, that, that some of, some Christians just seem like they're alive and they're vibrant and Um, they're warm and they have a great relationship and other Christians just seem like even though they're in church they just seem cold and distant and and disconnected with people you know why is it that some students even you know that they come to campus and they just seem to be alive on campus and they're impacting kids and they're loving kids and they're being different on campus then there's other kids who who come to church and are part of the body, but they just seem when they're on campus and then the Friday comes along and Saturday comes along and they just throw all that stuff out the window and they do what everybody else does. I think, you know, it's critical to understand the driving force behind some of the stuff and how, habit, how habits work. And I, I want to give you the entire life-changing thought in one sentence, okay? Here it is. Effective people... Effective marriages. Effective teenagers. Effective people are effective for one reason. And and the good news is this. It's not your background. It's not your environment. It's not your culture. It's not your DNA. Effective people are effective for one reason. Effective people develop habits that ineffective people are unwilling to develop. Effective people develop habits that ineffective people are unwilling to develop. And what I want to do is I want to unpack that a little bit. And so that's why we're kind of going to to go through a a lot of chapters because effective marriages develop habits that ineffective marriages don't develop. Effective parents are committed to good habits that that some parents don't commit to. And as a result, um, their, their parenting skills suffer. Effective Christians develop habits that ineffective Christians don't develop. And I think as we look through this, this passage that the Israelites are going through. And we've been talking about trusting God in this journey. And we're on a journey uh, as Christians, as, as we're in this pilgrimage through life. And, and we all know that, the, you know, God is taking us to, uh, to, you know, towards what His plan is for our lives. And so I want us to kind of go through this and look at the Israelites in that context. Um, and as we do, I want to do a little bit of review so that we can have all of this series this two-week series that I've done um, in context of, of, of what we've been talking about. We started talking about perceptions, and we, we talked about the fact that our perceptions, how we see things, how we perceive things, create thought processes in our mind, and we we have self-talk, and then we also also communicate, and that drives what we do. It drives our behavior. So how we see something creates a self-talk mechanism, which creates a behavior in us. And I believe a lot of that happens, and it becomes habitual for us, how we perceive things. And then we talked about the fact that, that God has a plan, and we looked at God's plan for the Israelites, and then we looked at God's promises to the Israelites, and then we looked at God's preparation that he was going to do to get the Israelites ready to accomplish his plan. And we talked about the fact that the Israelites were here in Egypt and God wanted them there in the promised land. And in our relationship with Christ, he wants to move us from where we are today to where he wants us in his plan for our lives. And it's a process of him getting us from here to there. And and I think a lot of what happens in that process is driven by habits. Whether we get there or not, it's a large thing determined by the habits we have, and really our perspective, our perception really is everything, and that's one of the things I want us to see as we kind of go through a bunch of chapters um, to look at what was, what was happening in the lives of the Israelites, what habits did they have, what habits did God want to um, replace, and what was the process in making that habit? So let's turn to Exodus 13. We're going to start in Exodus 13, and then we're just going to race through a whole bunch of chapters, okay? So start with verse 11, and all I want to do is, is highlight this whole concept of God's plan, God's promise, God's preparation, and the habits that were developed as a result of that. So verse 11, just in 13, just to review that, says this, now when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanites, what is that? It's his plan, right? Right? He's going to bring them to Canaan. That's what he told them he was going to do. Then he says, as he swore to you and your fathers, his promise, right? He told you he was going to do that and he's going to give it to you. So there's his plan. There's his promise. Verse 17, we see some of the preparation that goes into it. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was closer, So God said, even though this is closer, we're not going that way. Why? Because the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So they're not prepared to get to the promised land because they're going to have to go through some war to get there, and they're not ready for that. So the preparation process is what God is doing as we go through this book of Exodus. So I want us to kind of look at that and see how that shakes out with the Israelites. Chapter 14. See, that was fast, right? We went through chapter 13. only took us like that much time. Chapter 14. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 1, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp in front of the, the Red Sea. And then, um, verse 3, Pharaoh's going to say to the sons of Israel, hey, they're wandering aimlessly, so, man, they, they're shut in behind the sea. So then, verse 4, um, he says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And listen to this. This is God, what God wants to do. I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know what? That I am the Lord. Now, this is where we get hung up as people because we're we're really not concerned too much about whether God gets honored, right? We're really concerned about whether we're comfortable. We're not concerned about whether God is is recognized as Lord. What we're concerned about is are things going the way we think they should go? And this will be the thing that's happening in the lives of the Israelites. God wants to make sure that he gets the honor and that people know that he's Lord. And so the things that he does a lot of times point to the fact that when, when we go through something and it, and it, and it happens in a way that is, that's out of our control, who gets the credit? God does, right? God, God works that way. So, so that's what he's trying to do in the lives of the, of the, um, the Israelites. He wants, he wants them to know that God is, is going to be Lord. The Israelites, the, the Egyptians would know that. Let's go down to verse 10. So God's doing this thing, okay? This is what God's doing in the preparation process. Now verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Okay, so we're going we're to talk a little bit here, because this illustrates what we're going to cover the whole rest of this, of this book. Because I, there's, there's four things that we're going to see that are habits that the Israelites had that God wanted to replace. Okay, so I think, I, think, I think the powerful way to deal with habits is you don't just stop them, you replace them. You take something that, that is not beneficial and healthy and you replace it with something that is beneficial and healthy, right? So, so here's some of the things that was happening in the Israelites even while they were in Egypt and they've carried it with them. And these are habits that I believe God was trying to get them to replace with good habits. The first one is this, is that they continually saw God through their circumstances, okay? So they looked at their circumstances, and the circumstances were way bigger than their God. So here is this Egyptian army coming, here is Pharaoh, this powerful God, and and all of a sudden their God got shrunk down because their circumstance was bigger than their God. So they had this habit of continually seeing God through their circumstances. And God never was bigger than their circumstances. God wants us to have the habit of looking at our circumstances through our God. We have this almighty, powerful God who reigns almighty. Can he handle the circumstance? Amen, right? That's what he wanted to get them to begin to realize. They had this habit of always looking at their circumstances and making their circumstances bigger than their God. First habit that they needed to to change. The second one is that they had a really, really bad memory. They needed to work on their memory. They're here in front of the Red Sea, and they're afraid of, of Pharaoh. What did God do to Pharaoh just like a few days ago? Over a period of time, he continually said, I'm bigger than this God, 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 bigger than this God, I'm bigger than this God, and finally Pharaoh goes, get out of here, because God just tore him up. Remember the score? God, what? 11, Pharaoh, zero. God, 11, Pharaoh, zero. They watched the game, and they forgot. And we'll see as we go through this, they just continually forget, they forget, they forget. Third habit that they form is they glorify the past. They glorify the past. We ever do that? Oh, the good old days. Man, the good old days were so good. You know, the older I get, the faster I was. You know, they just glorify the goods. Oh, it was so much better in Egypt. We told you we didn't want to leave Egypt. Well, the reason that he's there is because they were crying to God because they hated Egypt, right? But all of a sudden, Egypt is this great place. So they're in this habit of of because our circumstances are so bad, it's got to be better where we were before. And then the last thing that we see, it's really all about them not about God. And we'll see this over and over and over again. Probably you guys don't fit into that, but that's like me. I'm all the time going, man, God, what are you doing? Because it's all about me, man. If I'm comfortable, if I'm happy, if things go going the way I want them to go, then I'm in good shape. But when they're not, man, I'm going, God, what in the world? Can you give me control for like four days and I'll fix all this stuff for you? Okay, so that's how, that's your thought process. So four things. They see God through their circumstances. They have a very short memory. They glorify the past and it's all about them, not about God. And then so, so as they're going through all this stuff, verse 18, you know, God reminds them again. He says, look, the Egyptians are going to know that I am the Lord, and I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. And then you know the story, you know, they part the Red Sea, the Israelites go through the Red Sea, the Red Sea closes on the Egyptians, and then chapter 15 is like this awesome worship service. They bring Ricky up, and man, they just have this great time worshiping, talking about God, and he's a warrior, and he wiped out the... The Egyptians, he did all this kind of stuff, and they're singing and dancing and having this great time through 21. And then starting at verse 22, they're not even out of the parking lot yet. They leave the church, they get in their cars, they're heading out of the parking lot, and already it says that they led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And then what did they do? Verse 24, they grumbled. What are we going to drink? What are we going to drink? So, so already they're starting to grumble and they have this, ha- this habit of seeing their circumstances as being this devastating circumstance. And it says in verse 4 that the Lord said to Moses, um, well, actually, let's go to verse 16, verse 1, because then, then uh, Moses and the rest of this chapter throws a tree in, the water gets pure, they drink the water, they camp out by springs, life is good. Verse 16, uh, Chapter 16, now, right after God did that, they uh, set out for Elam, which is uh, uh, the south of Israel by Sinai. In verse 2, the whole congregation of the sons grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, verse 3, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we listen to this, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with, hungry, with hunger. So again, they, they, they see these circumstances, they, they forget already what happened just a few days ago, if it was that long, and they're starting to grumble and say how, how good it is in Egypt again. And so verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain have, bread from heaven for you. The people shall go out, gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them. This is a preparation process so they can see that I can take care of them through this process, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instructions. So what does God want to develop in them? He wants to develop in them a habit of, of obeying his instructions, of recognizing that he's going to give you things to do in the preparation process. All you have to do is listen to them. And obey what he has to say. So, God has taken them through this preparation process of, of not looking at the negative and the, and the disaster and everything, which is how the perception of these Israelites were, right? Every time something went wrong, they took it to the worst case scenario. We're all going to die. Everything's going to go, it's, it's going to be a train wreck. Do we ever do that? Man, it's just so easy for us just to, to you know, it just goes, goes south in a hurry. And so, God is, is trying to get them to recognize, if you'll just walk with me, obey me, and, um, and trust me, you're going to be okay. So, 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 he's working on them through that in verse seven, chapter 17 now, because in 16, they, they get all this quail, they get all this food, they eat like crazy, they're really stoked because, man, God took care of them, they're fat and happy. Um, and then 17, it says that um, the congregation, the sons of Israel, journeyed by stages in the wilderness, going towards Sinai. They camped right outside of Sinai, verse 2, and then the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses goes, why are you guys being so orny? Verse 3, the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Are you seeing a trend here? Are you seeing some habits that are being developed on how they perceive what's going on and what they respond and how they behave based on their perceptions? Is this a healthy habit? That's not. But this is a habit that was ingrained in them culturally, and they've just carried it with them. And and God is trying to get them to a point where they can begin to replace those habits with habits that will allow Him to take them where He wants them to go. It's a process of Him doing it, and they're just continually miserable. Because life isn't the way they want it to be. Then they go, God, if you would just let us do this, we'll take care of it. All you have to do is transport us from Egypt right into the promised land, plop us down there, food on the table, the air conditioner on, just get it set like for 78. You know, probably for me, it would be 78 for me, but it had to be 72 for Marge. So it could be a little cooler on her side, you know, and, and then, then we're okay, you know, just have the refrigerator full, the freezer full, you know, probably two dozen tamales from the tamale sale. I mean, we're just good. We're good. Can't you just do that? What's all this stuff of going and not having any water and not having any food? And, I mean, what's, what's with all the hassle? That's what we want, isn't it? And, and we have a tendency to just continually grumble because God isn't doing it the way that we want him to do it. And so chapter 18, Jethro comes out. They, they get to know each other. They start hanging out. Chapter 19, starting with verse 1. Now, in the third month after the sons had gone out of the land of Egypt on that very day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They camped there, and Moses went up to God, and God called him to the mountain and said, you know, started to talk to him about what was going on. And and, and, and he um, comes back and gives them the feedback. It says, now, now in verse 5, well, for the start with verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So he's trying to give them good habits. Remember what I did when I bring you out of Egypt. Don't forget what I did. Remember what I did. Get, a, get in the habit of remembering my faithfulness and repeating my faithfulness to your families. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice, get in the habit of obeying my voice, and keep my covenant, get in the habit of keeping my covenant, then you shall be my possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Just get into some good habits. Things are going to be good. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the nation of Israel. God tells Moses that. Moses comes in verse 7 and tells the elders all that stuff. Verse 8, all the people answered together. Now, listen to this. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The people wanted to do what God wanted them to do. Are you guys with me? They wanted to do what God wanted them to do. What was keeping them from doing what God wanted them to do? Bad habits. Bad habits that they developed, that they continue to repeat over and over and over again, and God is trying to get them to understand, hey, if you can just get rid of some of these bad habits and replace them with good habits, life will be really good. Now let me tell you one of the bad habits I want to replace. Go to chapter 20, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. Any questions? I am the Lord your God. Not any other gods. He says, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? I'm the one who did it. Don't forget that. Remember that. Don't have a poor memory. Have a good memory. Remember that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now you shall have no other gods before me. Critical. And you shall not make for yourself an idol or a likeness of what is in heaven or above or on the earth beneath or the water underneath the earth. God knew this, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago that the Israelites brought all of the Egyptian gods with them out into the wilderness. And God is saying, hey, it's time for you to change these bad habits of having me just be one of your gods. That's why your circumstances are bigger than me, because your circumstances are being seen through all the perspectives of all these gods. I am the only God. I want you to be in the habit of knowing I am the only God, and I want you to walk with me and have no other gods before you. And this is subtle. And we talked about this last week because in our culture we subtly have allowed all kinds of other gods to be more important than our God. And we have subtly said when things get uncomfortable I'm going to go to this God, this God, this God, and this God before I go to this God. And this God, this God, this God, this God doesn't work and then we grumble at this God. Are you with me? That's the habit patterns that they're developing and I think those are the habit patterns that God wants to come against. So the people make a commitment to, to, um, to, follow, to follow what God is telling them to do. And so verse 18, it says all the people, because God came in, the, in, in you know, thunder and flashes and trumpets and mountain smoking and all that kind of stuff. And they said to Moses, hey, you talk to him because this guy, this God's too powerful for us. So God does. So in verse 21, the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the mountain. Verse 22, then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods beside me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make make for yourselves. Any questions about that? Are you guys all clear on that? So God is saying, hey, there's no other gods before me. You shouldn't have any other gods before me. And God spent some time really helping them understand how he is more powerful than all the other Egyptian gods. He's more powerful than the Red Sea. He brings manna. He brings quail. So he's demonstrated his power in being able to do that. Chapter 22, 23, God really lays out the lot of Moses. He tells him everything he wants the people to do. And then when we get to chapter 24... He said to Moses, come up, um, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and some other guys, some of the elders, to worship at a distance. Moses alone shall come near the Lord. Verse 3, then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice. All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. You think they were serious? I think they were serious. I think they said, yes, everything you tell us to do, we will do. And so then they had some offerings, some sacrifices. Verse 7, it says, "Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, so that they were beginning to develop this habit of hearing from God, of hearing God's word, of responding to God's word. And the people said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Then Moses went up with the three guys and the 70 elders, and it says in verse 10 that they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against them. He says, "They saw God and they ate and drank. So all these elders saw God. Could you imagine what that was like? That must have been unbelievable. So they, they saw God. And so then, um, as we continue to move forward uh, Chapter 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, yeah, we're moving. I'm not even going to tell you what it says. <laughs> but it's God talking to Moses about all kinds of stuff, how to put the tabernacle together and all kinds of good stuff that they need to do to walk in obedience with them. Then we get to verse 32. And actually, at the, ver- at the end of chapter 24, it says that Moses stayed up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, just so you have a context. It took a long time for God to lay out all that stuff to Moses. Verse 32, now it came about when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him circumstances are bigger than our God, right? All of a sudden, Moses isn't down there. We're in the circumstance. We don't know what's going on. It's time for us to take control again because it's really about us, right? Not about God. So if it's about us and not about God and we don't understand these circumstances, what do we need to do? We need to do those things that are comfortable to us because we forgot what God told us because what did God tell him to do or not to do? Yeah, worship only God and do not have any false gods. And here they are saying, well, let's, uh, let's see if we can find another God because the God that um, Moses is worshiping um, isn't reliable. And all God has been doing for 30 chapters is demonstrating his reliability, his credibility, his worth, all, the, all that he is to be the God and for them to be his people. And so Aaron said to them, well, take all this gold that you have and just bring it to me. And it says in verse 3 that they took all the gold, they brought it to him. In verse 4, and this is critical because I want you to to understand what happened here. In verse 4, it says, he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. So did Aaron make the God? He did, right? He molded it with a tool. And he said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Okay, So now all of a sudden, because their circumstances were different, everything that God said they forgot. Not only did they forget everything that God did, they forgot what God said, and they forgot what else, what they said. I think they really wanted to follow God, but they're so ingrained in these bad habits that as soon as something happens, they revert back to their bad habit patterns. And this is so important for us to understand because you and me are in the same boat. We have habits that God wants to replace if we'll let him replace them because those are our security blankets that we continually fall back on that make us feel good when we don't think God is doing what we think he should be doing. Amen? So, so that's what's happening in chapter 32. And then Moses comes down the mountain, and this is what I'm really excited about, because I think God changed a lot of Moses' habits. And here's what happens when your, when your habits change. In verse nine, the Lord said to Moses, "I've seen this people, and behold, they're an obstinate people." And he says, "Man, I'm going to get rid of them, and I'm going to make you a great nation, Moses." And then Moses comes to God, and he says, "Hey, God listen, um, why does your anger burn against your people?" So Moses now is realizing what God's plan is. God is the God of the Israelites. So Moses now is beginning to realize it. What did he say like 30 chapters ago? You know what, God? I really don't think I'm the right person. Can you just send somebody else because this isn't for me? Now he's saying, hey, God, listen, these are your people. Why why are you mad at these guys? You brought them out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Who, Who did it? God did it. Moses knows God did it. Moses has a long memory because he knows that it's God who brought them out with a mighty hand. So Moses is beginning to replace those habits, and he's beginning to have positive habits. And he says, why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. Moses know what God's plan was. What was God's plan? God's plan was to take them from Egypt to the promised land, right? He wasn't going to take them from Egypt to the middle of the mountains and kill them. So God had prepared Moses and had so worked in Moses that Moses was now beginning to have habits that were aligned with what God was and what God's perspective is and what God's perception is. He goes, hey God, you have plans for these people and this isn't part of that plan. I know it's not. And so he talks to God and he says, hey God, understand this. And then in verse 13 he says this, remember the promise. And he says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So isn't that exciting? So Moses was 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 changed by God. Moses began to develop really good habits. God, I know what your plan is. And God, I know that you've promised to carry out your plan, and I know that you've been working in me, preparing me to be person that you want me to be. And and Moses is aligned with God in a powerful way. So God does that work in us. And I want you to be encouraged because God is going to prepare you. And as he prepares you, you're going to find yourself more and more aligned with his plan and with his promises. And you're going to be more comfortable in the preparation process that he's going through as he prepares you for what he has planned for you and what he's promised to do in you. Is that exciting? Amen. Amen. So then, um, then Moses comes to um, Aaron. Let me see where I'm at. Verse 20, around 22, or 21. Moses says to Aaron, what is this, the, the, what is this people, what, what do these people do to you that you've brought this great sin upon them? And Aaron said, hey, don't get mad at me. You know these people, man, these people are a mess. Verse 23, they said to me, make a God for us, who will go before us for this Moses. He's, we don't know where he is and what's happened to him. In verse 24, now this is really important. This is so cool. Because when we do something and we have a bad habit and we do something really stupid, this is how we act. Verse 24, whoever, whoever, he goes, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. And so they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire. This is Aaron talking, okay? So listen to this. He says, hey, anybody who has any gold, just bring it to me and give it to me. And he threw it in the fire and then out came this calf. Isn't that that amazing? It's like out came this calf. I I don't understand how it happened. It just it just showed up. Isn't that great? It's like Marge is gonna come home and the the half gallon of ice cream is gonna be gone. And she's gonna go, what happened? I go, I have no idea. I went, I sat in the chair, I was watching part of the baseball game, taking a break from my message, and it just disappeared. I, I don't know. I mean, that's what we do, isn't it? We just kind of go, I don't know how that happened. It just happened. I just, you know, I just stopped in at the bar to say hi to Joe, and the next thing I know, I had 12 drinks. I don't know how that happened. You know? That's what happens. We, we get into these bad habits, and then we make excuses for why the things happen that happen in our lives. And I hear a lot of people who have developed bad habits um, say things like this. Why does this always happen to me? Man, I have such bad luck. Well, a lot of the stuff that's happening is because we've done things that are just bad habits. And God says, man, I want to replace those habits with good habits. And the whole rest of the chapter, God is kind of helping Moses put together the tabernacle and all kinds of stuff that, that needs to happen. And And then at the end of of the the book of Exodus, it says the, the tabernacle was completed and erected. And then it says in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. So God had established a process where they could be in the habit of recognizing God's presence and God's leading. So they began, they began to develop that habit of we are in God's presence. God is leading us. If God tells us to get up, we get up. If he tells us not to get up, we don't get up that a good habit? It's a good habit to be in. And so God is trying to replace these habits that the Israelites have so that they can begin to behave in a way that's positive. And so I just want to go into one little section, then we're going to wrap it up. Um, in Numbers, Leviticus, it goes Exodus, Leviticus. You read Leviticus on your own. It's really a good read. But in Numbers, the next book over, Numbers 13, they get to the promised land. And in Numbers 13, God tells um, Moses, hey, pick, pick some spies. And so they pick one man from all the 12 tribes, and they go into um, the promised land. And then they come out of the promised land, verse 25 of, of, uh, of chapter 13 and when they returned from spying out the land at the end of the forty days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness, and they showed them all the fruit of the land, and they told them, "Man, we went into this land, man. It was full of milk and honey. It was awesome. But the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there." and Amalek living there, and these, all these big monstrous people, and the Nephilim are there, who are the sons of Anak, and they, we became like grasshoppers on their sight, and so they started seeing all these monstrous people that were there, and what happened? Their perspective became bigger than their God again, even though God was leading them, and he was showing them, when they get there, they see that these people are bigger than he is. In fact, you know what? The, these people, the, the 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 Anak and the Nephilim and the descendants, there the, there there are some descendants of them that are alive today. I didn't know that, but apparently up in Northern California, I think we actually even have a picture of them, of, of these guys that that just are the same descendants of, of them. But but that's that's beside the point. So so um, so so ver, you know what? It's my last day. Literally, it may be. <laughs> so here's verse 14, and, and this, this is where I kind of want to wrap it up. I mean, chapter 14 of, of uh, Numbers, for, Numbers 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses, and Aaron, the whole congregation, said to them, would that we have died in Egypt. Did, did, do old habits die uh, hard, huh? They just, they just are hard for us to get rid of. Or would we have died in this wilderness? So not only do they go, oh, it was even better in the wilderness. (laughs) They hated the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones who become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Let us just bag God's plan altogether and let's just go back to where we are crying out to God to get us out of. And listen, I'm telling you guys, habits will get us into those positions. God has a plan for us and wants to take us from where we are today to his perfect plan. And in doing that, there will be habits that he will want us to break. And here's three things that I want us to understand when we start talking about the habits that God has for us. And we're going to be wrapping up right now. The first one is we know that God has a plan, right? So when we start talking about God's plan, here's the thing that we need to have a habit of doing. We need to trust him. Amen? We need to trust him in his plan for us. We have to have a habit that says, I'm going to trust you, God, because I know you have a plan for me. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing we need to do is we need to know that God has promised us that he's going to carry out his plan. He who began a good work in you shall perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, That's a promise. He's going to do that. He has a plan for you. He's going to continue to prepare you to see that plan carried out. If that's going to be the case, you need to believe him. You need to believe him. Trust his plan. Believe him when he promises you that he's going to take care of you and he's going to carry out your plan. The third thing I want you to be able to do is he's going to prepare you. There's going to be a preparation process, I promise, that's going to take you from where you are today to where he wants you. It's going to be a preparation promise. And when he process. And when he does that, when he's preparing you, then you need to obey him. When he says, hey, this needs to happen for you to grow and develop and become the person that I need you to be to accomplish the plan I have for you, you need to obey him when he does that. So you need to trust him, you need to believe him, and you need to obey him. Those are three habits that are great habits to start with if we want to replace some of our old habits. So how many of you are up for that? Okay, if you're up for that, stand up with me. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put three things on the board, one at a time. And you're going to see a couple words underlined, like trust him. So I'm going to read the sentence. Fill the first one up. So I'm going to read the sentence, and then when we get to trust him, you just say trust him. So that's our commitment to do the whole thing, but it'll be easier if you just say trust him than us trying to do it together. Knowing that God has a plan for my life, I will trust him as he leads me. Knowing that God has given me promises to fulfill his plan, I will believe him and seek to grow in my faith. Knowing that God is preparing me to participate in his plan, I will okay. obey him regardless of my circumstances. And doing this, I will not look back and long for what was, but I will okay. obey him and move forward. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have a plan for us, that you've promised that your plan is perfect and good and in our best interest. And Father, we know that you're preparing us to be who you want to be.